right, Paul, welcome. It's so glad to meet you. I'm so so great to meet you. And uh, I know we had a little conversation just now. We were kind of vibing and uh, getting to know each other. So I want to welcome you to the podcast and delighted to talk to you today about how to make work more human. So Paul, please give us a little bit of an introduction. Tell us who you are and what makes you human. Oh, thanks. Angela, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I appreciate our introvert extrovert conversation <laughs> as well. Um, my name is Paul Wolf. I was most recently the SVP of HR for Indeed, the job search uh, company for the last seven and a half years and helped them grow from 1,000 people to 12,000 people and also helped them navigate the 28 months of the pandemic, um, which is a whole nother podcast and conversation. Oh my gosh. That's a whole other episode. <laughs> there's like so much to like unpack from oh, that. Yes. Um, what, and right now I'm working on a book, um, and the, the universal truth of the book is we're all human beings, mm-hmm. um, and, and that is truth, and then every kind of, everything kind of goes haywire from there, and so focusing on that. Um, what makes me human? I'm fallible. Um, mm. I screw up. I admit it when I screw up. Um, you know, I bleed like everybody else does. I like to have a good time. I get sad. I have emotions. Uh, I think all those things make me human. I love it. I love it. And, and that's really the premise of, I think, our conversation today, which is really around the fact that being human is the universal truth. Truth, And uh, I would love to hear a little bit about um, your book. Tell us more um, about what people will learn reading it, the journey they will take yep. uh, reading your book. Yeah, so it's, it's focused for leaders, and it could be leaders in the company, HR leaders. I think it has broader application other than that, but that's the focus group. And it really is about how leaders can become better by thinking of everything through that perspective that we're all human beings first. Mm. So I talk about vulnerability and I give some examples of how I was vulnerable um, at Indeed and other places and, and what that did and the power that vulnerability has. And vulnerability, it's scary. Like mm. it scares the shit out of mm-hmm. all of us um, because it, ma- it points out that we're human and we're fallible. Um, but it is a really amazing tool. It's probably not the best word, but an amazing thing to lean into to help people understand you better. Um, I also think helping, making sure that people are seen and heard. Not everybody, it goes back to the kind of the introvert extrovert conversation. Yes. You know, we all have that person that doesn't, you know, s- uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, pipe up in meetings and things like that. And just making sure that people are seen and heard and people that don't look like other people in the room yes. and making sure they feel included. And then how we make, and I think it's interesting because the world is so the U.S. and I think the world too is so polarized right now. Mm. It's you know I'm I'll be 55 in a couple months, and I guess for the first time as an adult, it's been the most polarizing or most polarized I've yeah. seen it. Yeah. Um, and how we just make connections with people uh, and, and make deeper connections with people that we already know is really interesting. You know, I've mm. got a friend of. 30, going on 30 years. It's scary to say that I've known somebody that long <laughs> other than like my family. And um, I literally last year learned that she doesn't eat cheese for the first time in 30 wow. years. And like we had this whole like deep conversation. I'm like, was it like, d- did your mother like force it on you? Like what? She's like, I just don't like it. I like the texture of it. I'm like, how did I not know this? And she's like, I just, we didn't like talk about this before. Like, you know, it's just, but that's a, a silly example of we just have a deeper connection. There's something else we joke about now. Mm. Um, and so that I kind of, you know, I've got a, a 10 minute keynote talk that can do 30 or 45 minutes or an hour or a day and those are the kind of the three areas I delve into and the book will be just a broader version of that I hopefully it's you know it's not this I have a 12-step patented process for you to become a better leader like Mm. I'm not that guy this is like 
you need, you can you need to be vulnerable. You mm-hmm. need to make connections with people, and you need to uh, make sure people are seen and heard. And yes. you can be better. And I think it's also a really. I mean, I had the. I'd wanted to write a book for a while. I think the pandemic and a coach of mine helped crystallize what it was going to be about last summer. But if we all just treated each other better, mm-hmm. like in the world, like think about the amazing ripple effect that that could have. Like that is the utopian like thought in the back of my head. But instead of looking at somebody and like, oh, he's thin or he's, you know, mm-hmm. muscular or, you know, she's, you know, Asian or whatever label, mm-hmm. you know, we've got all these labels, he's gay, he's straight. Mm-hmm. Why? Like we all like, we all need, we all have blood plumbing through our veins. We all need food and water to exist. You Maslow's hierarchy needs. Like yes. we all need that stuff. Like we're all the same. And we all feel so different sometimes. Yeah, I like just like I just like to say we're just complex house plants, right? Yeah. <laughs> Literally, yeah. that's no, all that's we good. are. We're flesh, and yeah, we're looking at a plant in front yeah. of us now. Uh, so this gets me to the conversation around. I mean, what you're describing is powerful, um, and I want to hear a little bit about your work at Indeed because I would love to hear how you applied that and how you've applied this focus. But the word that comes to mind for me is equity. Because I think what you're saying is you need to learn about people as human beings in order to serve them, which is the function of leadership. I think we have a tired uh, definition construct of leadership that probably never really worked for us fully. It really didn't serve us fully because I see leadership as being of service to other people, positively impacting others. So tell us a little bit about how you did that at Indeed, because a lot of our listeners are C-suites, head of HR, right? And I think getting to some tactics and understanding, because Indeed is a fabulous company and you made a big impact and probably left a legacy there. So tell us more. Yeah, no, it's, it's an amazing place. Mission statement is we help people get jobs. You know, everybody can get behind that. I think the, the example I'll give you is, is about being vulnerable. And so you know, I was diagnosed with OCD 15 or 16 years ago and had been dealing with it through medicine um, and behavioral therapy modifications, stuff like that. Then the pandemic hits and my OCD starts to manifest itself in very different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it used to be before when I was leaving the house, it would cause me angst and sure. a- anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't leaving the house anymore. So it had, it needed some outlet. And so it was tough because we were, you know, one of the values of Indeed is being data driven. So we make decisions with data. I completely am on board with that. Pandemic comes. None of us have ever lived through this before. There's no data. I and our CEO are making decisions, and mostly me making our decisions and taking recommendations to him with no data and, like, trying to do the best that I can. And everything else going on, trying to keep my team together, trying to figure out what we're going to do next, what office we're going to close, and we closed everything. And it was... It was kind of that, and as I was sitting in these in these Zoom meetings, I call them Brady Bunch box, uh, the Brady <laughs> yes. Bunch meetings, because we're all the there. The tiles. Right, yeah. the tiles. And um, I realized, like, I've got, can I use a bad word? Of course. I've got shit going on. Yes, and use every, all the bad words. Everybody in this meeting has shit going on, yeah. other than the mission of Indeed, and we all care deeply about that, because that's a connective tissue to all of us. And it was, we started a weekly Q&A, like, every other company and a weekly email that was kind of a wrap up from me at the on Thursdays. And then it turned into programs we were rolling out, new mental health benefits, things like that. So in August, it took me a while to get there, mm-hmm. to be vulnerable, because it's scary. Mm-hmm. In August, I um, 
got my weekly the weekly draft from the comms manager that I worked with, and I made a couple tweaks like I normally did, and then I added two paragraphs mm. and about what I was going through uh, yes. and what it was like, and just putting it out there that I get we all have something, we all need to like understand that we all have stuff going on. And she slacked me a couple of minutes later. She's like, are you sure you want to leave those two paragraphs in? And I kind of sat in a minute and I thought, I'm like, why wouldn't I? And I'm like, yes. Um, and then somebody else on the executive team saw a draft and like pinged me like, are you really going to send that? And I'm like, why? I, like I just, I was, I wasn't, it made me stop and think. Like it mm. sort, started to make me question. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, it's the right thing to do. And so I sent the email, you know, then you're in these back-to-back Zoom meetings for the rest of the day. And I had a break in the afternoon and I, you know, opened my inbox and there were like 400 new emails. And I'm like, oh my God, this is more than usual. Like, what the heck has happened? <laughs> like, I'm like, I didn't think anything of the email. I'm like, what is going on that yeah. like we need to deal with? And then I started to open and I like browse them. It's like tons of people showing support, oh, tons of people that. saying, I have OCD as well. Here's how I'm dealing with it. Here's a new drug I just got put on that helps, mm. that works really well for me. Other people, you know, talking about other mental health challenges they were having. And then there were a lot of people that were very supportive, but also surprised that an executive would say something like that. Mm. And I, you know, I read those and I'm like, wow. And I was, it was, I think it was the next day that it really hit me because I was joined yet another Zoom meeting. And um, uh, an employee said to me, she's like, I just want to start by saying thank you. And I must have been like, I have on my face because I am a, I cannot play poker. People know what I'm thinking. I must have had one of those, I have no idea what you're talking about on my face. And she's like, you have no idea what you did, did you? And I'm, or do you? And I'm like, no. She's like, you made us realize executives are just like us. Mm. And it was like in that moment that it was like, oh, I, mm. I did it honestly to be cathartic to get it off of me because you know what if I'm in a meeting and I'm not my usual self I want you to understand this might be why I'm not u- my usual self today because yes. I've got something new going on and then it was you know people were like this is amazing like you you guys are just like us I'm like we all put our pants on the same like we all right. get dressed the same way like you know nobody's different I just have a different title yes. um yeah. and I, I like your comment about it's, it's exer- like leadership is a service like mm. we you know there's this concept of servant leader and mm-hmm. like that's we are just around to, I think, help people be their best and help companies be their best. And I think it's kind of like the golden rule, treat others like you want to be treated. And we've kind of lost, that's kind of gotten lost over the year. Like I don't, you know, I probably learned that in kindergarten. And I, like, I don't know that, you know, everybody thinks that way anymore. Yeah. And I actually, the thing that came to mind um, is I think it's treat others how they want to be treated. Right. Which is like almost a, well, that's where equity comes in. Yes. I, I like that you use that word because even when we were talking about coming back to office, and I hate that term because it's not going back to anything. You've got right. to figure out the new paradigm of work. Yeah. So Everyone's been doing work. Right. We're not going like, back. It's not like we've been sitting around for 28 <laughs> right. months, like you know, twiddling our thumbs. Um, and we started to talk about, you know, we had crafted three types of roles. There were in office, there were flex, hybrid, and mm-hmm. then remote. And then the conversation came up with, well, what about perks? And I'm like, they're not going to be equal, but we need to make them equitable. Yes. We need to make as much as possible that feeling of the person that's working remotely all the time to the person that's a hybrid to the person that's in office, that experience be similar Mm -hmm. in whatever way. It's like meeting people where they're at. Exactly. Like, what do you need? If you want, you know, if we were going to do a stipend and it was 200 bucks a month and you want, I don't know, you know, 20 cases of diet coke right. like 
you can have that. Like, mm-hmm. that's fine. Or if somebody wants really healthy, like, daily harvest delivery every day, like, right. that's great. But it, I like the word. It, it, that's where we need to get to is because we're not, other than being human, the human, the human piece, we're all the same. There's no, there's no kind of denying that. Then we're different yes. by where we were raised, the color of our skin, our sexual orientation, all you can, you can go through, like, you know, myriads mm-hmm. of, of labels. So how do we make everything equitable for people or is equity i don't know where ever get to complete mm-hmm. equitability wait i don't know what the word equitability. is now. equitability we'll, we'll make up that equity? word on this podcast I don't know. here <laughs> um equitability if it's not a word yes. miriam webster i hope you're <laughs> listening um but how do you make that experience similar and what yes. people really need and as a leader that's you need to you know i remember early in my career when i first became a head of hr um I was talking to a leader about, well, you really need to get to know your employees. Well, I don't want to know them. I'm like, mm. well, how are you going to, how, how, how if you don't know them, how are you going to know how to motivate them? How are you going to know how to reward them? You know, some people like the public, you know, right. accolade. Some mm-hmm. people like it in private. You know, some people like cash. Um, and there's, you know, five million other things that people like. And and he's like, well, I don't want to get to know them. He's like, I don't want to get to know their problems. He's like, I, I, the, the less I know about them, the better. And I'm like, oh, that's boy. not what yeah. a lead, like, that's not why you get paid more. Right. That's the other thing is, and it's not to pick on leaders, but I think maybe we as corporate America or companies have made it so that leaders can get away without really being leaders. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because I would find that occasionally too, especially when it came around like compensation conversations, and they're like, "You own this. You made the decision. Right. You can't punt it back to HR." Well, what's interesting is, I w- as you're saying that, I was just thinking about the fact that I think the pandemic has actually weeded out yeah. bad leaders. In that, you now to keep the connection, to keep the collaboration and the team effectiveness, leaders have had to do what they should have been doing all along, which is talking to their people learning about them and curating experiences for them, which can't happen now physically, but now you have to do that in different ways. Right. I I think you're right. I think the pandemic, look, it's been shitty for a lot of people Mm -hmm. um, and for a lot of reasons. Uh, I think I'm going to look at the, I'm not going to be the pessimist I usually am. I'm going to look at the good side of it. (laughs) It is, there are a couple silver threads to pull through it. One is flexibility because the fact that we were all in this paradigm where I had to schlep to an office every morning and work and then schlep home every night is ridiculous. Mm. Um, And it took a pandemic for everybody to realize that. To your point about leaders, and I do think it's weeded out or it's made, it's put a spotlight on not great leaders and they're going to have to step up or not. And I think they've had to do that. And if you look at it's so interesting to me, especially now that I'm not in a CHRO role. Mm-hmm. It's a little like I, I, some of my opinions have changed because I'm on the other side now, which is I, I didn't expect. Um, but if you are not leaning in and you're not creating flexibility and letting people just do looking at their body of work versus what gets done yes. every mm-hmm. day. We have so many leaders that are like about it's like a time clock and it's like, no, they're not an hourly employee working in a call center and even that's a bad example now because call center reps can work from home like let's use a retail store it's not an hourly employee working in retail store but even if it is if they don't sell you know i don't know 50 but i don't know what what metrics Mm -hmm. look like for retail but like if they don't sell 50 50 worth of merchandise in their first hour but they get to their overall goal for the day does it really make a difference no it doesn't like manage the body of work and it really i think companies and leaders that aren't leaning into it's all just life now there's no there's no 
you know, the work-life balancing has been a fallacy, I think, for a yeah. long time. It's all, we live life. Yes. And work is a chapter or a component or a category in life. My family, my dogs, my friends, my hobby, whatever. Like, those are all the things that make up life for me. And I want to have fun, have a fun life. And so I want work to be a good experience. And so I think now with the all the power being in the job seeker in the employee's hands, leaders and companies that don't do this are going to lose. And, you know, there's that, there's that saying, people don't leave companies, they leave leaders. Mm -hmm. I'm a firm believer in that. You know, if I have a crappy experience with my boss on a regular basis, I don't care how tied I am to the company or the mission. Like I'm going to take the phone call from the recruiter or I'm going to look on indeed uh, to find a job. Right. Um, you know, it's if I've got, I think the flip isn't true. If I've got an amazing leader and the company's kind of, eh, I'm probably going to stick around because I, I know this person, we get along, like they give me good feedback. All those things that we like as humans and as employees are mm-hmm. there for me. Yeah. And that's, I think, the, the curation piece of the leader's job. And to your point, I've also been a CHRO. And I think a lot of, I, I always would tell my executives that my job is to work myself out of a job right? Like the leadership, the culture that has to live within your leaders and your people. I am working to work myself out of a job. So it's baked in. So there's a sustainability element to this too, which uh, I think a lot of, I think we're getting to that point where leaders are realizing like, oh, that is my job. Because I am with these people day in and day out. It's not the head of HR that's getting to know individuals um, and they are getting to know individuals but not at that level they can't see their work they can't work with them see their styles whether they're introverted or extroverted or if they have OCD or serve them the way they need to be served in order for them to be successful and uh, no matter how large your HR team is they can't accomplish that and so I think we sometimes put heads of HR and HR teams in tricky situations to do magic um, because we put all of, well, that's, that, that's your job. That has, has to do with people. When in reality, the CHRO is a business partner to the executive team. So tell us, tell us more about what you're doing now. Um, and we know about the book, but how have you, with some of this insight that you've gathered, where are you taking your work next? So I, I guess I have my feet in a couple things going on. Um, I just finished a class uh, with a coach of mine, Aaron Weed, called Speaker Mastermind. Mm. So it's getting me ready to deliver this 10-minute TED-style talk, which I did a couple weeks ago. Oh, wonderful. It, it was okay. It's recorded. <laughs> um, I can share a recording with you. There yes. are some things I change about it, but look, I'm human. So Absolutely. I think it was good and it got the point across. Um, so I actually, I think in June, I'm at a conference delivering that keynote for the first time in a, like a 25-minute version. And I think my focus now is, you know, for so long, you as a CHRO, me as a CHRO, we were helping a company. And now it's like, how can I help many companies? Yes. How can I help many people? Mm -hmm. Um, I also started working. I took a consulting gig, which I probably shouldn't have, but it came to me and I'm like, all right, I'll do it. And it's easy work. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's been actually really interesting for a small hair care company on the West Coast. And they don't have an HR person. There's a chief operating officer who's their general counsel who's got HR reporting in turn. She found me through a connection. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's been really interesting just to have conversations with her as an attorney about like an engagement or a workplace happiness survey. And, you know, I know the legal perspective of it, but I'm like, look, this is why you should do it. And you can do it simply in a, mm. in a question or two mm-hmm. and really get at happiness. Yes. And it was interesting. She and I had this 
lengthy conversation about happiness versus engagement. And I honestly think engagement is a word that like HR people made up. Yeah. Like, or, <laughs> you know, some company is selling their engagement survey and they came up with, you know, like, let's call it engagement. It sounds fancy and big. Right. And I'm like, it's really about is somebody happy or not? And that mean, and her comment to me, she says, well, that means different things to different people. I'm like, but engagement means different things to different people too. Like, this is where you've got to kind of meet people where they're at. And yes. if you can't meet them there, you need to explain why. Because I don't think there's, I think that's the other thing that leaders are scared of is like being like transparent and telling somebody I can't do that and here's why or I'm not going to do that and here's why. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's really important as well. Like it's not, you know, it's not the was kids raised in the 90s that everybody got a trophy <laughs> like trophy. yeah right it's not everybody doesn't <laughs> get a trophy millennials. right everybody <laughs> doesn't get a trophy and i'm not picking on any any generation but everyone doesn't get a trophy and like mm -hmm. there're going to be times where we can't do things and right. and i'm happy yeah. to explain to you why i can't mm -hmm. do that so trying to help companies and there's another small company in new york that i'm helping they don't they're looking for a, a chief people officer now if anybody's interested ping me and i can connect you um, they went from 150 people to 300 people in the pandemic and their mm -hmm. ceos like culture is different and mm. but I, I give her a lot of credit because she's a CEO that realizes culture is everyone's responsibility your yeah. earlier point I interviewed I will not mention the company um, it's probably when I was uh, before my indeed job I was at Condé Nast and I was interviewing at another company a tech company and the reason I dropped out of the uh, the, the, pro the process for the job was the CEO said to me let's talk about culture you own culture and how yeah. are you going to fix it yes. <laughs> and i and so i i you know being transparent i said well i don't own anything really to your point my job is to work myself out of a job to set up the right processes and programs so that you really don't need me um and i don't own anything i don't own you know right. the engagement score the happiness score i don't own like it, we all have a part in that mm. and we literally like had a debate in mm. the interview and it was you know um I, I assume I wouldn't have made it to the next round anyway, but I called the recruiter. And I'm like, there's no way like this is I, this isn't the right. I was trying to be nice. and like, this is the right job for me. And I knew the knew the recruiter. I still know the recruiter. And she's like, why? And I'm like, because he thinks I own culture and he's going to measure. Like, basically, all of my measurements are tied to the company culture and the happiness or the, the engagement index. And I'm like, that's just not true. And mm -hmm. I don't you know, I'm happy in my job. This one was interesting because it was back in the tech space. But. I'm not gonna, you know, and I'm not, I'm, she's like, aren't you up for a challenge? I'm like, I'm up for any challenge, but like this guy and I debated for an hour about this and he didn't budge and I didn't budge. So I don't think it's going to get any better. <laughs> like, yeah. That's, that's a, that's a fundamental, fundamental philosophical difference. It, it is. And, you know, so I, I guess, you know, my next question to you is really around sustainable culture. Right. And I kind of hinted at the fact of uh, you know, it is. It has to be the buck stops with the CEO or the founder, and the executive team. Of course, everybody owns culture, but I do think it. it the buck does stop. Yeah. And I oftentimes think that we, when it comes to sustainable culture change, you mentioned the Maslow hierarchy of needs, which I loved. My psychology nerdy <laughs> brain got really excited. Um, but you know, I think there's a lot of focus right now on like the perks, right? The programs, when in reality you have this this foundational part of the Maslow hierarchy of needs, which is like basic needs. And so when you bring in the ping pong tables or the food trucks or, you know, 
the the random things that are considered perks, but you're not paying everybody equitably, right? Or your leadership is toxic, or you have a, an executive member who is a toxic team member is an, is completely counterculture. All of those things are just an eye roll. Right. Well, it's, it's lipstick on a pig. Right. I mean, that's exactly. all it is. It's like I worked in Dow's at Match.com for four years in Dallas. That's where I picked up that saying. Yes. But that's what it is. It's like companies are trying to hide the crap mm-hmm. by, yes. you, know, you know, ping pong tables and food. And, and I do think some of it in the tech space, because of certain fang companies, which I won't mention individually, mm-hmm. like some of its table stakes, like you can't compete for talent sometimes without some of that stuff. Sure. Like mm-hmm. it indeed, like the amount of money in my budget that was on food was oh, insane. We yeah. could have fed a third world country oh or two, but it was kind of like if you wanted engineers from Google, you had to do some of this. But I do think, so there's, there's that kind of stuff, but then there's a lot of it is just, it is lipstick on a pig. It's like, we're mm-hmm. gonna stick a bandit on this and hope somebody doesn't look at the terrible oozing wound underneath it because, mm-hmm. and they will, they're gonna pick up on that stuff. Like you could get rid of all like, you know, I like a, a free coffee and a free soda every once in a while. But like take, if I think about like my time in a D, take the rest of it away, I would have been fine because I believed in the mission of the company. I had great peers. The people that I worked with were amazing um, and we were doing good things. Mm. So I think if, it, you know, I think some people are never going to get there. That's just who they are. But I think the vast majority of people would get there without all the bells and whistles. What do you think is going to happen to that group of organizations that just don't get it? Like, it has the time come where, because they've gotten away with it up until this point, right? And maybe they've had a lot of turnover. They've had consequences to that. But has, has the tide shifted so much that, they're just not going to be successful. What, what do you think? I think for now it has. And I think mm. when I say for now, I'd say for the next five years. And my oh. hope is it's longer because my hope is not that they you know, are, are hurt financially, but they wake up and they start to make change. Because wouldn't that be an amazing thing if companies just got better? You know, yes. I come back yeah. to my better word about my book and becoming mm-hmm. better, but like, wouldn't it, wouldn't it just be better? So I think, I think for now they're like, they're out of the running. Like, why is somebody going to go there? Or they're going to get people and they're going to, you know, I always joked um, and said that recruiting and dating are very similar yes. processes because <laughs> of my time at Match.com and my time at Indeed. And people kind of look at me and I'm like, it's basically the same process. It's, it's just a different relationship at the end of the day, hopefully. Um, and so, you know, people and interviewing is a part of that. It's like the first date and we're all on our best behavior. Mm-hmm. And I always would say to managers, they say, well, you know, there's this little flag, but I think it's okay. And I'm like, look, this is the best behavior you're ever going to get. Yes. And the same goes on the candidate side. From a company perspective, this is the best behavior that you're going to get. So if there was a flag in the process, you really need to dig into it. So I think hopefully more of that will get uncovered. Mm. Um, And then what they may see is people join because of the bells and whistles, the perks Mm. um, that suck them in. And then they realize, and then, you know, they're, they're going to make a choice and they're going to leave. So their attrition, you know, they're going to cycle through more people. And I think that's, you know, I, I know that some leaders and some companies don't care about that. But I think what people need to realize, we are all, as a society, connected. Social media is a good and a bad thing. Mm. Like LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, you know, TikTok. I'm not on TikTok, but <laughs> we're all connected. And if I have a bad experience someplace, I'm probably going to tell a bunch of people about it and they're going to hear about it. And then if they're going to think about interviewing there, it's mm. just a, it's like, I need to check this box. I need to make sure it's okay. And more and more, that is the norm. If you see a job someplace and you know somebody 
you know, chances are you're two or three, de- two or three d- degrees disconnected yes, yeah. from that. Like, okay, I'm going to ask these couple people about this company and find out a little bit more. I mean, that's what people should be doing anyway. And so mm-hmm. I think they're going to lose there. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't want them to lose financially, but I want them to lose enough that they figure out that they have to do something. And it's about people. It's the other thing that's interesting during the pandemic is like the HR space and like the number of companies that are looking for CHROs and that have Mm -hmm. been looking um, or looking to make changes. Like it's just, I don't know this moment in my career that I've never seen, like I've never gotten as many phone calls and emails as I have, especially now that people have figured out I'm not working full time. Mm -hmm. Like, Oh, like this would be a great opportunity. I'm like, I'm really not looking right now and don't know that I'm going to look for a full time job ever again. Um, But I, I think that is a, it's a good thing. My hope is we figure out how to make that feeling, that energy around HR stay. Because it, my, my concern is, you know, we go through these peaks, the, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the highs and lows, and that, you know, when this is a, a distant or a past memory for us, that companies will go back into the, you know, into a valley. But hopefully, I, I, you know, I think those that do aren't, aren't going to be any better off, and those that do believe it's the right thing to do are going to be better off, is what I believe. Yeah, and I don't know if this upcoming generation is going to let that happen. Yeah, I mean, I'm very, very optimistic. I call myself an elder millennial, but, uh, you know, Gen Zers, like, we're old news, oh, yeah. right? Like, I, I hear so many executives talking about the millennials are coming. I'm like, right. I was a CHRO. <laughs> I've just started my own company. I am I am past that. You right. are, you've got to worry about a whole other different generation. Gen Z, they are not having it. They are like, I'm interviewing you. What are you going to do for me as an employer? Uh, No, I'm not going to um, spend 80 hours a week working here because I have a whole nother life. So I'm very optimistic that they are going to keep the accountability on. And I think the, 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 the opportunity is narrowing for organizations to really understand what they stand for and making sure that what they, whatever they stand for is people oriented at the end of the day, because it's the people who get results. Absolutely. And I think, you know, Gen Z and we all need to hold yes. people accountable. I yes. always, you know, when I would talk uh, to job seekers and, you know, the, the thing that my piece of advice to job seekers and the one I give to all of them is go in armed with questions. Mm-hmm. Even if it's the same question you asked the three people that you interviewed with before, it, you can compare and contrast answers. And they're like, well, why should I have questions? I'm like you are kicking the tires as yes. much as they're kicking your tires. You've got to make sure, don't run to something or mm. don't run from something, run to something. You've got to make sure it's right for you and you think you're going to be additive to the organization or the team. Yes. And so the fact that I think, you know, the, the, the Gen Zers have, have finally kind of woken up and are holding companies accountable, I think is an amazing thing. We all need to do that. Oh, 100%. And I think that um, there's also this, you mentioned the kind of the, the matchmaking process, which is... Um, the match between values, purpose, mission, individual values, purpose, mission, and then organizational values, purpose, and mission. And I think that's where the, the during the interview process, that, that's so crucial, right? Because you want to make sure you're, you've got a match there and you're both in it to do good work. Uh, so I think there's going to be a lot more. Um, the employer-employee relationship is changing. Yes. It's not this, I'm your employer and I control everything. It's a partnership yeah. now. And I really hope that stays. Because well, I think it's, it should be more equitable, which yes. gets back to the equity word. But it should, that's how it should be. Exactly, exactly. 
Well, I am so excited for your work. I will be the first one to buy your book. And at least I know I sold one. <laughs> yeah, yes, you got my you got my uh, sale. And you know when your TED talk comes out, I will be watching that too. And I um, would love to just kind of end. Um, we, we talked about a lot today. We talked about this idea of um, equity and how do you treat people as human beings, um, but also show up as a human being. I think that's a really important point for leadership because we must role model what yep. we want to see. And um, so we talked about role modeling, we talked about vulnerability, we talked about showing up as humans, we talked about um, kind of the match process between purpose and organizations, and I loved the storytelling that you provided around your time at Indeed, so thank you for sharing that. But how would you just give us like a sentence or two of your message? Like just summarize this conversation in a few sentences. What's your, what are your, your parting words to the audience? Um. This is a tough one now. Um, <laughs> I'd say that leaders are human, being too, human beings too, and we need to show up as one, and we need to remember that everybody's a human being, and we need to treat them as such. Oh, I love it. I love that, Paul. And Paul, how can people find you if they're looking for you, if they want to work with you or find the book or your talk? Uh, Twitter, pwolf67, and my website's just paulwolf, P-A-U-L-W-O-L-F-E.com. Check me out. Drop me a line. Happy to chat. Awesome. Awesome. It was great to have you, Paul. I'm so appreciative of you and all the work you're doing. And thanks for being on the podcast. Oh, I appreciate the invite. It's been great chatting with you. 